And uh, the subtitles, Getting Right and Getting Going, Paul was getting this church on track. We're going to pick up the last couple verses of chapter 9 and then start chapter 10 today. I got to get there myself. First Corinthians. And um, I'll start with this, this thought. It's a time that I was in, Heather and I were in Maui, snorkeling. Have you ever snorkeled in a warm water place? That'd be Maui somewhere, Mexico somewhere. It's pretty amazing. What's amazing is in the salt water, you're very buoyant. You're very buoyant. I've always been half buoyant. My upper body kind of floats, my legs sink. So I could never, I always am like this. But in the salt water, I was, you just float, you just float. So we're in Maui and we were just blessed to go there. It's beautiful, it's tropical, the water is blue. And Heather and I go on this snorkeling adventure. So they drive us out in the boat and we go, some, you know, I don't know where we are, somewhere off the coast, we're all excited. You're gonna see tropical fish. It's unbelievable, clear water, and we jump in. I think there's eight or ten of us in this little outing, and we start swimming, and we're going to start seeing fish, and all of a sudden, ow, 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 and we're popping up. We're, we're being stung. We're getting stung. It's stunging, and we're looking to the guys in the boat. We're being stung. What is stinging us? What's happening? And we're, ow, ow, and they were kind of like, yeah, those are, I, I, th- I cannot quite remember what they said. It was something like hydrobod. I don't think that's what it is. I tried to look it up. They said something like that is in the water and it stings you. And we were like, but that's terrible. And they were kind of like, yeah, they're in the water. So some are like getting back in the boat and some are like, oh, whatever, and just plowed through and just got stung. I think it's some kind of larvae from uh, jellyfish that's based on Google. I don't know what it is, but they sting you, and it's unpleasant. We were there to see the fish, and then I had, we left. It was off. Like, we didn't do this to get stung. And so, there's, it's not always paradise, right? You're in Maui. You're snorkeling. It's supposed to be wonderful, and you get stung the whole time. And it's just this reminder, and what we're going to see in today's passage is everything can seem so wonderful. We've just worshiped the Lord. We've just rehearsed. Uh, our, our forgiveness of sin, that God's working in our life, that when the trumpet sound, he's going to come and get us. It's all these things, and there's just this joy. And then sometimes reality hits you. You get stung. Life on earth is actually really hard. Things are broken. Temptations come. And so Paul is in the middle of this. We'll see the end of chapter 9. He's just talked about this victorious, I do everything so that people might meet Christ. I'm willing to work extra hard. I'm willing to do a night job. I'm willing to do anything to reach somebody. I just want to be a part of the gospel. And it's this this exciting thing to be a part of what Jesus is doing. And then he's like, but you know, there's a lot of hard things. There's things that sting you. There's things that bite you. There's fears that come up. It's actually really hard. So what we're going to see today is some warnings. It's a warning. We are in a battle. That's today's passage. We are in a battle, but we are not alone. We're going to see some warnings given today. It seems like everything should be good. You've come to Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. Everything should be wonderful. But there's a battle before you arrive. There's a battle on this earth. There's a challenge to walk with Jesus. So this is a warning message today, but we are not alone. So let's read the section. Chapter 9, we're going to do verse 24 through chapter 10, verse 13. That's our 
our chunk today. 9.24 through 10.13. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. All right, so that's what we're going to cover today. Again, here's our point. Warning, we are in a battle. We're not alone. We're going to see several warnings today. We're going to see several warnings. And um, where we're coming out of, just if you look up one verse, this is where we left off. Paul's saying, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them his blessings. He was talking about all the sacrifices he makes, all the way he reaches out to people, that there's blessings in the gospel. He left on this high note of the gospel we left off last week. I want to just be a part of everything God's doing to rescue people and grow them in Christ. And then 24, the image changes to this athletic imagery. And so the first warning is that it it takes everything you've got. We're going to see multiple warnings in here. The first one from those last verses, 24 to 27, is that it takes everything you've got. So you see athletic imagery right there in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Right? That there could be a whole lot of people out on a race. Right? And even now, there's a whole lot of kids you might turn out for a track team. You just, just want to be out there. I just want to exercise. I just want to be part of the team. But he's like, you know, it's not just about being part of the team. It's not just about being in the uniform. He's like, I actually want you to win. I want you to run hard. I want you to have purpose. I want you to go for it. So he says, there's people out there running, there's people out there hanging out, and then there's people actually trying to win. There's people actually trying to live this life for Jesus. And so verse 25, he introduces, what does that take? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, 
but we an imperishable. So in Paul's day, they already had the Olympics going on, right? And for the Olympics, they got a wreath, uh, a wreath around their head as a reward. We just had the 2020 Olympics in 2021, right? They still had the 2020, right? Do you, can you imagine being in the Olympics and standing on the podium and you are the best in the world? You, you actually just proved that. You are the best 100-meter swimmer in the world. You are the best gymnast in the world. You are the best skateboarder in the world. You're the, did you watch any of the BMX tr- stunts? I was terrified. They were like upside down. I was just like, oh, what if they landed upside down? You're the best stunt BMX in the world. It's just unbelievable to, say, to actually be able to say that in that moment. You literally are the best. And you get, we've, we've stepped up the game from a wreath to some at least precious metals, right? Gold, silver, bronze. Unbelievable. But he said... To get that, to be the actual champion, it takes self-control in all things. To be the best in the world, what did they do from the time they were five? I mean, what did gymnasts start? Age three, right? It was just the, and all the meets, every, six days a week, the diet discipline, the practice discipline, the strength training the travel, the financial investment to become an Olympic champion, you are extremely focused. No one's like, you know, I'm going to go out for the marathon this year. I'm going to just head over to Tokyo. I'm just going to go out for the marathon. I, I think I got a shot. Like, no, you have been doing this for years, training, right? You don't just roll in and you're the marathon guy. And so Paul's introducing, he's like, there is this idea, we want to live for Jesus, we want to serve him, but he's starting to say, but you know what, if we're going to live for him and we want to spread the gospel, it's like running to win, it's like an Olympic athlete that is very self-controlled, it's very disciplined, I'm actually going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray, I'm going to look how to serve, this becomes important to me. So in verse 26, he says, I'm very focused. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. He's like, I'm not just random. I'm not just out here. I'm very focused. And here he introduces this. I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So this, all of a sudden, there's a new idea introduced. First, he's saying, I want to I reach people for Christ. I want to live the Christian life with focus and discipline. We're receiving a reward way more important than a wreath or gold. We're talking about the heavenly rewards. And he says, but you know what? I have to be very focused so that I don't get disqualified. You see how he just introduced that there? So he first he says it, it takes everything you've got to live for Jesus to stay focused, but he's saying there's something at stake here where you actually can be DQ'd, right? You get disqualified if you run out of the lanes, right? You get disqualified if you step on the end of the shot put ring. There's actually rules. If you break the rules, your score doesn't count. And so he's starting to introduce an idea of just how hard it is to live for Christ to the end. Do you have any names that immediately come to your mind of people who seem to be living the life for Jesus, seem to be making an impact, a big impact, and are disqualified now? Do any just, they just immediately come to my mind. 
Maybe the, the newest one is Ravi Zacharias. It's horrible. I just looked up so much to his ministry on college campuses and able to speak into, and then he dies of cancer, and then these horrible stories come out. Had he not died, he would have been disqualified, right? His, his own organization that bore his own name would have had to remove him. RZIM Ministries, he would have been disqualified. He would have no longer been able to go out and be a spokesman for the gospel. Ravi Zacharias. But that's just a name. Pick any name. All the time, people are disqualifying themselves for serving the Lord because they failed, right? They, they had a gospel ministry. It could just be you and your neighborhood has a gospel ministry. It could be you and your workplace have a gospel ministry. But if we're not disciplined, if we're not focused on the Lord, if we're not focused on what he wants us to do, we can, while trying to reach out, we can become disqualified if we lose focus of ourself, if we lose focus of what's happening in our own life. And so that's what Paul starts to introduce there. We want to live this Christian life. We want to live it for him. It takes focus and discipline, but it also, there's this other thing. We have to be really intentional so that we don't disqualify ourselves. And I don't know that disqualifying means now you don't go to heaven. Don't go to there. I just think it means now you don't have ministry. Now you don't have credibility. Now you can't go and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And they're like, oh yeah, the guy that just embezzled from our company last week. I don't want to hear about your Jesus, right? That's what I mean by disqualified. So let's get to the next section there. He just introduces it. Verse 10, the second warning is that the saints of the past failed. The saints of the past have failed. First, he says it's really hard. You're going to be disciplined. You're going to be focused. You've got to stay on track because you don't want to get disqualified. You don't want to break the rules and not get to play anymore. And he says the saints of the past failed. That's what he's going to show us here in this next section. So verse 10 says, I don't know. Let's read. I'm going to do 10, 1 to 4 here. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Let's just stop there. So um, what he's doing is he's linking followers of Jesus to the saints of the past. So he's linking us by similar metaphor. So who he's he's got in view here are the the children of Israel or or the, the people that Moses leads out of Egypt, God's people, the Hebrews, the Israelites. He leads them out of Egypt, and he shows that we're connected to them by similar metaphors. He uses baptism. He says they came out and they were baptized into Moses and baptized in the sea. Now, you're not really baptized in Moses. It's a metaphor to be immersed, right? Baptized means to be immersed. The simplest one is like immersing a French fry in ketchup. You have baptized that thing. So they're immersed into Moses, meaning they're following Moses. They're going through the sea that God parted. And it says the cloud led them when they came out of Egypt God's presence led them in a cloud by day, and they're baptized. They went through the sea. They're immersed in Moses leading them. And then it says they have spiritual food and drink. God gave them manna on the ground, so it's a spiritual food. And then he provides water from the rock. So he's linking us and saying all those things are fulfilled in Christ. 
right? We're immersed into Christ. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. They were led by the presence of God in the cloud. Cloud, the Holy Spirit means wind or breath. So we, they were led by a cloud. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. They were baptized going through the Red Sea. We're actually baptized into the name of Jesus. They had spiritual food and drink. We have spiritual food and drink. We celebrate it here monthly. This bread is the body of Jesus. This cup is his blood. So he's uniting these metaphors to say those saints of the past had baptism in a sense, had spiritual food, had the rock of Christ following them. They had him present, him providing the living water. And we, the saints that those metaphors were pointing to, the fullness of Jesus coming, the baptism for forgiveness of sins, the spiritual meal he gave us to remember him by, these metaphors are linking us. It's not like those Old Testament people that we don't know what was going on with them and us New Testament. We're all the God's people linked by his presence, his leading, his providing, and that Christ is the center of it all. He's linking us together with the saints of the past. But then verse 5 is dropping the hammer. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. It's like the saints of the past that had all the benefit of God's presence and food and water and direct. They all blew it. And this overthrown is, means their bodies were strewn about the wilderness. Right? You ever, I don't know if you go downstairs in my house, our downstairs is strewn about with Legos. Just everywhere. It's like that's the saints of the past, dead bodies everywhere. Okay. So this is a warning, right? He's like, look, these people should know. These people have all the advantages of God's presence and right there, and they blow it. Verse 6, these took place as examples for us. They took place that we might not desire evil as they did. So it's easy to look back at these stories and go, those dumb people, what were they thinking? He's like, don't go there. They're warning you, right? An example means something that's like stamped or an imprint, something that's been molded. It also is where we get the word for a scar, a past injury. You got anything that when you do that, ooh, that hurts. Oh, I remember when that one thing happened, right? You got to got those. There's, there's reminders, there's markers, there's things that stand that are imprinted, that are stamped so that we remember them. I'll give you a, a modern day one. Any of you go, have ever been to the Puyallup Fair? I know it's called the Washington State Fair, but I'm from Puyallup, so it's forever the Puyallup Fair. You go there, it's fun, there's rides, there's excitement, it's, it's enormous. But there's actually a monument there in the Puyallup Fairgrounds called Harmony by, I don't know how to say this name, George Sutakawa would be my guess. Because the Puyallup Fairgrounds during World War II was turned into Camp Harmony, which was an internment camp for Japanese Americans during the war. So this place that we go to for fun and recreation at one time was a symbol of fear, of, of you know, misinformation, of hostility. These are Japanese Americans that were locked up as potential threats during the war, and they were citizens of this country. So it's a, it's a thing we're not proud of as a nation. You go, ah, that was an ugly moment. That was a huge misjudgment. So in the middle of this fair, there's an actual sculpture, an imprint a monument that says, let's, let's not do that again. Let's not lock up American citizens. Let's not live by fear. There's a monument to that. That's a scar. You look back and go, that was ugly. That's something we don't want to repeat. 
That's what we want this fairgrounds to never, ever be used for those purposes again. And that's what Paul's saying. These stories in the Old Testament, they're an imprint. They're a mark. They're a scar to say, we don't want to do it like that again. So verse 7, there's four of them. We'll see how many I'll show you the original. Some I might just tell you about, and some we'll actually read. The first one's verse 7. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So this is specifically referencing the episode of the golden calf. God's led people them out of Egypt. They've come through the Red Sea. They've gotten the manna. They've gotten the water. He leads them to Mount Sinai. And God's presence descends on the mountain with burning fire and smoke. And uh, God says, tell nobody to come up the mountain. They're like, no problem. We're not going up there. It's terrifying. God's presence is there. But Moses goes up there, and he's up there for 40 days. So this story is in Exodus 32, if you want to jump over there. This is a very famous account, but that's where this quote comes from in uh, 1 Corinthians 10. Exodus 32, Moses is up on the mountain. The thing is smoking. It's on fire. It's covered with the cloud. He's up there, and then verse 32 of, or verse 1 of Exodus 32 says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain... The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears, of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose early the next day and they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. We'll just stop there. So they immediately just go off the rails. He's gone like 40 days like, well, he's gone. God probably burned him up in that cloud. He's toast. Well, we need a new God. Let's make a cow. You're just like, well, that, and did you notice? They didn't call it some other name. They said, this is the God who brought you up. This is Yahweh. And they have some kind of wild party. You know, they rose up to play, I think is a euphemism for wild party. I'm guessing it had something to do with the kinds of worship they experienced in Egypt and their gods. But they're afraid, they're terrified, they think he's not coming back. So they're like, well, let's just go back to what we know. And let's build a, an image and let's have a huge party to the image and go nuts. But God's presence is right there. He's, he's, he said, you don't make a form. I didn't show you a form. So that's the first one. That's the first one. Let's see. Uh, let's get back into 1 Corinthians 10. So the first one was, the warning was, hey, the people who I just let out of Israel... As soon as they got a little bit afraid, they made an idol, and they went crazy in front of the thing. 
Verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. I won't go here, but this is in Numbers 25 if you want to read about it. But it's basically the account of uh, the people of Israel, they've moved into a region by an area called Moab and the king of Moab is freaked out that a million people just moved in. He's like, we can't handle these guys. So he hires Balaam to curse him. But every time Balaam goes to curse him, God blesses him. So Balaam finally says, you know, God's not going to curse them. But if you want to get him in trouble, you can just tempt him. Just get him in trouble. And they, oh, we could do that. So the Moabites have one of their feasts that involves tons of prostitution, sexual immorality, and they invite the Israelites to participate. And so God won't curse them, but they curse themselves by rebelling and entering into this horrible worship. So that's where, and so 23, they go in and start wiping them out. Moses, they put on swords and they're killing their own brothers and sisters because of this horrible rebellion. So that's in Numbers 25. He's saying, that's that account. So he's like, we don't want to be like that when they were, went into terrible sexual immorality. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. He's really bringing up all the terrible moments. You just got to, he's like, let me show you four horrible moments. This one, I think if parents were really honest, would say they wish they could do this. Okay, I'm just being Numbers 21. If you go to Numbers 21, verse 4, you just tell me, parents who drove kids in a minivan on a long trip, if this didn't come into your mind. Numbers 21, verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. Are we there yet? And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worth, worthless food. They've had enough of manna, right? We're tired of this. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, right? You imagine your kids in the back seat. Okay, well, I'm just going to pitch a snake back there, and we'll see who wants to stop at McDonald's, right? We're, you know, it's like, come on. He's like, okay, you want to whine about it? Here, Fiery serpents come, and they bit the people, so many of the people died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. You still see that image today on ambulances, by the way. The bronze serpent on a pole comes from that story, right? You look at this thing to be healed, and then if you come into Eric's class at 9 a.m. in the Gospel of John, that story comes up in John 3. So anyway, a couple links for you. Eric's class, we're learning about links in the Bible. There's a link to John 3 right there. So... <laughs> They're out there. He's feeding them every day. And like, we ate this food. Did you bring us out here to die? He's like, no, I brought you out here to give you the promised land. I freed you from Egypt where they threw your children in the river. You remember that day? Right? I feed you where they beat you and killed you and oppressed you. You remember that? But we're hungry and we hate this food. Right? So he's like, he's just getting impatient. All right. The last one, I better move along. Nor grumble as some of them did and they were destroyed by the destroyer. This one comes from number 14 when he leads them to the edge of the promised land. They send in spies and they come back and say this filled with giants. We can't go in there. 
We can't go in there. That's where this account is from. And they say, it'd been better if we died in Egypt. Did you bring us out here to kill our children? And they won't go in. And God says, you know what? I'm going to do exactly what you said. You are going to die in this wilderness. And your kids, who you thought were going to die in the wilderness, they get to go in. So that's, that's the four accounts. If you want to read that one, it's in Numbers 14. I just kind of jumped ahead to keep going. Where is I at? Keep going here. And one more. There we go. So that's four terrible stories. Now these things happened to them as an example. Same word, an imprint, a mold, a scar. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. They happened to them and they're a mold. So we would pay attention. We would see that imprint and go, okay, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. So let me just put them maybe in some modern thoughts. God let me down. I'm going back to my old ways, right? They're at the mountain. Moses goes up. We don't think he's coming back. We're scared. We thought he was leading us to the promised land and he just consumed him up there. Who knows what they think? So I'm going back to my old ways. Their old ways was whatever kind of worship they were around in Egypt, whatever they saw, whatever kind of parties they did around their idols. I don't know. But that's a warning, right? Have you ever felt like, I thought you were going to do this, God. I don't see the prayer answered. I don't see it happening. Yeah, I'm just going to do what I used to do. I'm going to go back to my old ways. And maybe your old ways like then included this wild parties before something non-God. So that's a warning for us, right? He's saying, this is a warning. It happened to them, but it's a warning for us. The second one, the Balaam story, is just, is it any different? They, were, they got in big trouble because of sexual temptations and immorality. It's no different today. How many people does that shipwreck? And the introduction of the internet and the smartphone just made it a million times worse. So we, that's an area where Satan loves to attack. In that area, he causes tons of harm. So there's a warning for any kind of sexual temptation that we do not go that way because it is very destructive. So that one's really the same. Uh, the one about complaining. There's a lot of complaining in the Bible, and it just makes God irate. I mean, it really does. Hey, can you imagine the complaining? Like, well, fine, I'm going to send serpents among you. That's pretty intense, Right? That's really like, okay, you don't want my food? Here you go. But it's this idea that he had been providing for them every step of the way. I've been there, I've been there, I've been there. And they're complaining and whining. And that's a warning to us. A lot of times we're, we can be good like, well, I'm not going to do the terrible sins. I won't do the sexual morality. And we whine and complain. And why didn't I get this? And why do we have to do that? And, when, and God's saying, hey, did you wake up in a bed today? Right? One of the, you know, aren't you glad you're not a refugee somewhere? Aren't you glad you're not fleeing bombs somewhere? Like, whoa. So, so those kind of things, when we start getting off track about how God's provided, he's very impatient with that. That's a warning to us to be thankful for every little thing he's provided. Um, fear that God won't deliver. That's when they, they come up to the edge of the promised land how many miracles did they see by that point? All 10 plagues. All, they saw all 10 plagues. They go through the sea. 
They get the food. They saw the water come out of the rock. He's provided all the way along. He, they actually won some battles already by this point. So he, they did the, the, they're just amazing things are happening. They get to the edge of the promised land. Well, they're kind of giants. Didn't, didn't you just see that God routed the Egyptians and you didn't even shoot an arrow? You didn't even pick up a sword? You did nothing and he routed them. He can get you in there. I think this is the biggest one for us. It is so hard not to fear. What if God doesn't come through? What if he doesn't answer that prayer? What if the thing doesn't get solved? Right? And we can get afraid that God won't deliver. And they were afraid and turned back and said, well, you brought us out here to die. Their fear actually caused them to accuse God. Well, he's not good and you're not taking care of us. That's a warning to us that when you have fear, take it to God, not at God, right? Take it to him. I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. Help me. Versus I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. You failed me. So those are, those are four ways that those stories, the context is different, but the root of those stories, I think we face very much today. Verse 12 we're still in the world. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. He's like, just watch out. And that's where we can read the Bible and go, yeah, how dumb were they? I'd probably be right there with them. I mean, the moment I'm hungry and thirsty, you know I'm whining, right? So the moment they're hungry and thirsty, they're whining. You know, I've never seen a giant somewhere. It'd probably terrify me too. So it's easy to look and go, those people, they don't know anything. He's like, hey, don't think you've got it figured out. Don't think you're any different. Don't think that your humanity is different than their humanity. You see, this is a warning. We're weak, and there's harsh things going to come, and things are hard, and you need to pay attention. So that was the warning, that the saints of the past failed. And we need to heed that warning. They're not dumb, and we're smart. We're all people. So we need to heed those warnings for fear and temptation. What are the ones we're facing? Like in Galatians 5, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want. That always reminds me, the battle's not out there. It's right here. The flesh and the Spirit and the temptation and doing what, and it's right here. And we have the Holy Spirit, but the flesh is there's this battle inside of your very life. So that's why he's saying, watch out. They had spiritual fear and temptation, so do we. Peter tells us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So we have internal battle, but there is an enemy. There is someone who wants to devour you. The image of a lion sort of ripping up a prey it's very vivid, right? So this is things, watch out. The saints of the past failed. We're under spiritual temptation. We have spiritual warfare going on. So there's warnings there. But here's where we get to the main point, the warning. We are in a battle, right? He said the saints of the past failed. We have to play by the rules. We got to be disciplined or we're going to get disqualified. There's warnings. We're in a battle, but we're not alone. So let's get to that last verse, verse 13. First thing he says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. I think it's really important to remember you're not strange. 
You experiencing temptation and fear isn't like, well, I'm terrible and it's all bad for me and everyone else has it made. He's like, no, actually everybody faces this. You're not alone. Sometimes there's comfort just in that. You're not alone. You're not extra weak. You're not extra marked out for difficulty. You're not alone. God's got you. This is a normal thing. It's experienced all over the world. Anyone, there's sometimes like, okay, this actually is hard and everyone's facing it. That's helpful. Second part there, he says, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So here there's not only are you not alone, God's aware of what you're facing and is limiting it. He's like, you know, right there's the edge. If this happens, you're not going to come back from it, but I'm going to hold it right there. Now, some of you, I want to go, well, what if we just had it not at all, right? (laughs) How about it just never happens? But he's like, no, I'm allowing some things to happen to you. I'm monitoring the situation. I know when you can handle it and when you can't, I'm going to let it happen. And this is actually rooted in God's desire to grow us and change us and shape us. And he allows testing and temptation. I'll just show you from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So he's saying God working in your life, discipline, training is actually a sign that you're his child and he's working in you. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So on the one hand, we want to say, like, God, why don't you just stop it entirely? But God says, I'm not going to stop temptations entirely because I'm growing you and I care about you and I want you to mature and I want you to change and I want you to come through this and I want righteousness and peace and godliness to grow in your life. But I am going to put limits so that it doesn't push you over the edge. I know what you're ready for and what you're not. Right? It just seems like the same. Go back to those Olympic athletes. They don't go to full Olympic workout week one, right? They start way, way, way back, like, let's stretch and take a walk. And then it intensifies. And so God's saying, I know what you can handle and what you can't. I know when I can push harder and when I need to pull back. It's because he cares. He wants to see you change and mature and grow. And so he's involved in struggles and challenges and temptations. It's normal. He's with you. And then this last one, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So he's with you, he's limiting it, and he says, and I always give you a way out. I always give you a way out. I always think of this like um, when you're driving on the freeway and they start to warn you about services. Right? They're coming, like, okay, gas this exit. Ah, I didn't take it. Gas this exit. I didn't take it. And then there's ones like, if you don't stop and get gas now, it's 100 miles, you're going to be that guy on the side of the road, embarrassed, thinking, why didn't I stop back there at Al's? And I kept driving, and 
You with me on that? This is like the warning. If you don't get off at this exit for gas, it could be bad for you. And I think the Holy Spirit does that. When you're in a temptation and you're getting the warning, uh, you're going somewhere you don't want to be. You're about to do something you don't want to do. Here's an off-ramp. Oh, here's another off-ramp. If you don't take this off-ramp, you're going to be in trouble. Like they're there, and we can take them or not take them. But he says, I provide the way. You can stay on the highway to where you're at, or you can get off. I provided a way for you. You're not stuck. I've given you that way out. So there's the warning. We are in a battle, but we are not alone. It's normal. He's limiting it, and he's with you, and he says, I'm right here, and here's a way out. And it's not something he hasn't faced. I love this passage in Hebrews. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Jesus lived in the flesh. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. He's not far away going, boy, that looks hard. I wish I could help him. He's like, I've walked in your flesh. I've felt the temptation. I've felt it all the way along. The enemy attacked me in the wilderness attacked me all the way through and right up to the cross they're saying come down if you're the christ mocked him right to the end he says i know what it's like so i can help you i'm with you i hear you we are in a battle but we're not alone let me give you some applications and then we'll wrap up some of you might just needed to hear that today jesus is with you you thought you were alone you've been battling a struggle things have been hard where are you he says i'm right there right there with you. I know what you're facing. That might be just where you go. I need to go home with that. Jesus is with me. He knows what I'm feeling. Some of you today, it might be a warning that this is not an easy road. It's sort of like an eyes wide open conversation. You're like, I thought I was going to come to Jesus and all my problems would be solved. No. Your problem of what, what happens for you standing judgment for your sin, that's definitely solved. He's paid the full price. How do I live the rest of the life for Jesus? It's not a cakewalk. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be temptations. There's going to be fears. There's going to be challenges. And so passages like this go, okay, I know what I'm getting into. I'm going to follow Jesus through this life, and it is hard, and it's normal for it to be hard. And maybe that's your take home. Okay, it's normal for it to be hard, but there's help. Some of you, yeah, it's like a total wake-up call. You're like, oh, man, all this going on, I need to be on the alert. I need to be on the alert. I need to be paying attention. These these things I'm facing could disqualify me. What do I need to do, right? It's like, yeah, I know things were hard. No, you could be disqualified. You could shipwreck your faith. You could make a destruction of your testimony. You could get yourself into all kinds of difficulty. This is is serious, And then some of you, I'm wondering if today is an off-ramp day. You are on a road, and the Holy Spirit's saying, get off that road get off that road and you're not getting off that road and maybe this is the moment you're going to say, okay, I need to get off that road. I need to get off that road now. 
I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if it looks like you need to come talk to somebody. You need to talk to me. You need to talk to somebody in your life and say, I'm in trouble. You need to confess something. You need to come confess before the Lord up here. I don't know what it is, but if the Holy Spirit is saying, take that off-ramp, you're going in danger, take the off-ramp. He's giving you a way of escape. Take it. Whatever it is, do you need help? Come talk to somebody. We'll have people up here ready to pray with you today. Make the phone call. Reach out. Say, okay, I got to get out of this. I'm in a mess. I'm about to destroy a lot of things. Help me. Help me. You're not alone. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you're with us in the fight. You understand temptation in the deepest way. That you, even in the temptation, are growing us and shaping us and limiting it to our abilities and your abilities in us. I just pray for 